0: Hi, I'm Judy Stewart and this is Unpaused, a podcast for women wanting to reinvent their careers after a break from work. At the end of 2006, a French patisserie, bakery and cafe called Choquette opened in Brisbane and with it, a small slice of French epicurean life began to take root. Its proprietor, Lara Keating's dream to create an authentic French cafe experience in Brisbane's inner north drew deeply on the influence of her French mother, Francoise, and the culture Lara imbibed when she returned for four month long visits to Francoise's family home near Chartres, one hour southwest of Paris, every three or so years. So strong was the pull of her French birthright, and so frustrated was she that nothing available locally came even close to her experience of the cafes and patisseries of France. Lara put her degree in finance and a good job in customer relationship management to one side, and at the age of 28, opened Choquette's doors for the first time. This bold career transition into high-quality retail was, to all appearances, an immediate success. Taking on the expense of adjacent leases and a comprehensive fit-out of cafe, shopfront and bakery, she used skilled French visitors on working visas to master the baking and patisserie specialties and to man the shop, cafe and counter. As word spread, cues formed, especially on weekends. And if you were lucky enough to snag a table, you could watch the passing parade of everyone from judges, professionals, new parents with babies and prams, pelotons, yoga mums, matrons from the Morton Club and everyone in between, all waiting patiently in line. The coffee was great and the Panorazin glorious. Before long, she was partnering with the baker to set up a second standalone wholesale bread business. Everything was humming along nicely when she was hit not just with the pandemic, but with a truly biblical flood. I'll let Lara tell the story, but let's begin in 2006 when that first business plan for Shekhet was taking shape. Lara, welcome to Unpaused.
1: Thank you very much, Judy. It's wonderful to be here.
0: On my count, you've had three transitions so far over the course of your relatively short working life. In your words, what was the genesis of Chiquette and what did it look like when it was in full flight?
1: So my desire to create the business came around from, as you said in the introduction, to create a space that I had experienced in France and offer that to Brisbane people to the
0: public. So it must have been nice as a little girl to go to a cafe in France and have all of those
1: treats. It was wonderful. The experience I had as a child wasn't so much going to the cafes but having the experience of enjoying those delicious baguettes for breakfast around the kitchen table at home with all of my cousins and my family and just being able to walk into the little village and have a snack as we were on our way to something else. Which was just a normal part of life. Completely normal, yeah. But very enjoyable. Like, I have those memories. They brought little moments of joy.
0: What about your having a French mother? You've got an Australian father and a French mother who really kept the French culture alive for you. How did she do that? You know, what were the real ways in which she brought you into her life?
1: I don't actually believe it was a conscious thing to keep that culture going. It was just so ingrained in, in Francoise, in mum, that that's who she was, that's how we lived. And as it was just mum and I living together as I grew up, our house was French, basically. Mm. She would speak to me in French. I hesitated when I was younger. However, as I grew up, around 15, I had a month by myself in France and that's when I really embraced the French culture. I felt it in me. I loved the language and I came home and have a sense of where would I like to be? Where do I feel more comfortable, whether it was Australia or France? And you obviously decided it was Australia. Well, I still struggle with that. I really feel an element of both cultures in me, and I feel at home at both. I guess I'm in Australia because I had the opportunity, I created the opportunity to have a business here, and then I met my husband and have children, but there's always an urge to live in France for me.
0: So given that you had a steady job on the back of your finance degree, you were living in Australia, I'm interested in the physical steps you took to bring Choquette to life. How do you go from being a full-time employee in a card fleet management business to actually physically opening what was quite a substantial operation between the retail side and the creative side. How do you get a project like that off the ground?
1: So I was in the corporate world, in the finance, and I was enjoying what I was doing. I was learning a lot because I was fresh out of uni. When I finished school, I travelled and then I came back and did uni. So I was an older graduate and did a few years in the finance world. Enjoyed it, but knew that it wasn't something I was passionate about. Mm. Food had always been something that I was interested in and I really loved it. I got a sense of joy out of it mm. and that combined with my French side and the culture, I recognised that there was a big gap in the market. Mm. When, As you mentioned in the introduction, I would come back from France and I would like a Chausson Pomme. It's one of my favourite products. Mm. There was no way for me to go and get it. It was either an apple turnover full of chantilly cream that just didn't hit the spot, didn't have the right butter in the pastries, didn't things. So I wanted to offer that to Brisbane.
0: And did you do any work experience over in France or did you
1: just dial it up from a blank piece of paper? No. So I, when I decided, the idea came to me and I would talk to friends and family about it. And there was always really positive feedback. Mm. Who doesn't love a little piece of joy, a little piece of pastry or a good baguette? Mm. So I went down the track of actually starting the business plan. And I was fortunate at my job previously to have someone that was doing the MBA and he was focusing on mentoring and coaching. Mm. And so I was able to have help from him. So Mm. he guided me through the process of doing a business plan Mm. to be able to present for finance and for all types of things when you're starting up because it really was. I was this young woman that had no experience. Mm. So I needed to show that I had actually thought about it and planned it properly.
0: Mm.
1: So So once I'd done the business plan, I stopped working and I just did some temp work and that allowed me to work on it, but it also allowed me to go to France. Mm. And so I did a short two-week course in learning about boulangerie patisserie products Mm. at a reputed school over there. And it was really a course, it's short, so I'm not a qualified pastry chef or a baker, Mm. but I have a very good idea of the equipment. So this gave me an idea of the equipment that I needed, Mm. the type of products in terms of authenticity and the types of ingredients that needed to go into them to get the quality of product that I wanted. Mm. It also allowed me to create a network in France Mm. of professionals in that field And at the time, there was a a big exposition. So it was the European Expo of Boulangerie Patisserie. So here I am, (laughs) 26-year-old, I think I was, walking Mm. into this field, not having any idea. But I learnt as I went. And I was just curious. I would ask questions. I would make connections. So I walked away from there having a very good idea of the equipment I needed the type of bakers and pastry chefs that I needed and the experience that they would need Mm. and also a contact to be able to recruit over there, Mm. which made it that was imperative to the success of this business. I knew that I would need to have that knowledge rather than just open up and not have an idea of all of those things. Otherwise, I would be vulnerable as a business owner to... Not being able to drive the business where I wanted it, and I had a very clear vision of where I wanted it to go. But you were taking on something quite complicated
0: because the way I looked at it as a customer was you sort of had three things happening. You had the bakery, yeah, you know, and the kitchen mm. that produced everything. Mm-hmm. It didn't just produce bread, which you sold it also produced all this pastry. So that was a different skill set. Yes. So you had the shop, yeah. but you had the cafe as well. So you were serving live customers who wanted to sit down and have a coffee and have a pastry. Three different things that you've got happening at the one time, I suppose. Is it youth that gives you the confidence to pull that off?
1: <laughs> I'm not too sure. <laughs> no, because it was a lot, wasn't it? It was, it was but I don't, in the moment, I don't think I really thought about that. I went through the steps. I knew that these different things needed to be covered off. I was fortunate. So I started, I got my first job when I was 13 and it was in a cafe. It was a fast-paced cafe. And then when I was at uni, I worked at the New Farm Deli. So that's another fast-paced cafe with really good levels of service. And for me, that's just ingrained now, I think. So that took care of the cafe side. I was fortunate and I was really very particular about providing an experience. I didn't want my customers just to come in, get their goodies that they wanted and to leave. I wanted them to be able to feel surrounded by the experience of walking into a French boulangerie patisserie. So that was at the heart of everything. It was a French cafe or French patisserie. So the decoration, I tried to have an authentic feel in there for that. We always had French music playing. From the very beginning, I remember opening the doors. It was just myself and mum. And then the first employee was a young French backpacker. And so from then on, it just built on that. I always had French employees, not all, all of them, but I always made sure that the labels were in French, that the people working for me as part of the team in the front of the house could pronounce the products properly, that they knew the descriptions of the products so that they could recommend them. If not everyone had travelled to France. So they, and my team members needed to be able to supply that experience and that information to them. I also believe that another element that brought joy to the customers, so many people would come in and almost want to practice their French and learn French in the mm. shop. It may have only been a two-minute visit, but it was another element. I'm going to get my bag out, I'm going to get a croissant, but I'll also have the opportunity to practice a little phrase mm. or two in French. So looking at the 10
0: years between 2013 and now.
1: I started It in 2006 Mm. and I met my husband-to-be, Richard, in I think we had our first date two weeks after starting the second business. So Mm -hmm. when we first kind of met, because he was a customer at the shop. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how you met. That's how we met. Oh, really? I had always avoided that. Yeah. And obviously there was something special between the two of us because we ended up going out for a drink. But I was in the full throw of having a business and opening up a second business.
0: And the second business was the bakery. Crust & Co. Yeah. So just describe that for a moment.
1: So Crust & Co. at Shuket. We had built the reputation, the quality of the product was excellent. And so there was a lot of interest from restaurants and cafes and hotels to be wholesale customers. However, we didn't have the capacity in the space, or I didn't feel we had the capacity in the space at Chouquet to service those customers to a level that I would be satisfied with. So, having had the interest for well over a year, I talked to my baker at Chouquet, at Sebastian. And we just, as the discussion evolved, it came out that we would join and become business partners and start a second business called Crust & Co. to meet that wholesale demand in Brisbane.
0: And had you foreseen that when you were first writing that business plan back in and Five,
1: six? I hadn't foreseen another business. I had foreseen the potential of wholesale customers in other Shuket locations Mm. and just as time unfolded that didn't happen but this opportunity came up Mm. and decided to go with that and having a business partner who is a highly talented baker fortified my belief that I could do all of those things at once Mm. because I also have – like I was highly present at Shuket and it did – take its toll on me in terms of I then got married, I had two children and I had two businesses. Mm. I couldn't have done all of that alone. No. So having a business partner who was involved and invested and on site all the time certainly made it more possible.
0: Just to go back one step, you were highly involved at Shockhead, so you very much fronted the business and that also no doubt contributed to its success because it had such a distinct personality that was yours. So given that you were so involved in it, you must have, and given the clientele, because it was a pretty sort of eclectic clientele. Oh, was a mix of everything. And a lot of people knew a lot of other people, you know, you'd run into people, you'd recognise people from the cafe. So it became very much a neighbourhood hub. Did that have any upside for you in terms of the people you met and the network that you created in the shop?
1: The element of being part of the community is one of the elements that gave me the most joy. I mm. really loved that. Mm. And I still live in that area now, so I'm still running into customers that I used to serve at Shoquette mm. And it's really lovely. You see as you said, you might see, we saw people have their first date at Shuket and Mm. then they'd come in two years later and they'd be married and pregnant and then the baby would be here and then now they've got 15 year old children. I feel like Shuket was a place where people could go and have their weekly little get together or their special moment together. It wasn't something extravagant, but it was something that really brought them a lot of joy. Yeah. And that brings me a lot. Like I really enjoyed that side of the business.
0: Yes. Yeah. So you had, a husband, two small children, two businesses. So, what happened?
1: What had to give? I had to give. Mm. <laughs> it just got too much for me. I couldn't, I was not, I was managing it all, but I wasn't enjoying any element of it. Mm. I felt like I was doing a poor job in my businesses. I felt like I wasn't being attentive enough as a wife and I felt that I was short with my children like I wasn't enjoying the time with my children either mm. and it just nothing was there was no joy there was no fun mm. I was just getting through the daily motions mm. really
0: and so you sold the cafe
1: so I sold Shukat. it had been 12 years I think that I had that and I was also ready for a change mm. so I sold Shukat and just focused on Crustin Co and being a mum and, and a did you think Just again, going back to the beginning,
0: did you think that that was going to be a business for life? Or did you always think, oh, well, look, one day I can sell this and realise some profit from all of these years of hard work?
1: Mm. I think in my mind, it was always something that I would sell. Mm. I didn't believe that I would want to be there for the rest of my life. No, such hard work. Well, I also know myself, I like new challenges. Mm. So I had a an idea that I would be ready. You work on something, you work on it hard, you get it where you'd like it to be and then for me in terms of my personality, I'm then ready for the next challenge.
0: The bakery business was clever, wasn't it? Like Because you, ha- A, you had a business partner who was very active in the business hmm. and B, it was less personal drag on you because it was largely wholesale.
1: Yes. I set it up like that and it also – I had the business partner who – highly talented and involved. We also felt like it wasn't a business that was starting from scratch either Mm. because it had the reputation, the backing of Shuket. It also had the beginning of a client list ready to go mm-hmm. which was wonderful like it was a real step up for that business and I set it up from the very beginning that I wasn't there five days a week. Mm. I knew that I couldn't be at that stage because I had two little boys. It, yeah. made,
0: it made good sense and it was off site right it was nowhere near Choquette it was in no, a different it was over in
1: Wilston. part of yeah. the world
0: but you had also I suppose all of that experience of how everything worked how the machinery all worked You know, how to get the staff to man the business. It was so clever to do that Mm. and to carve off the other much more intensively consuming part of the business.
1: Yes. Yeah. it, It made a big change for me in terms of my life.
0: And so when COVID hit, that must have been difficult because immediately every restaurant shut.
1: Yes. So Crust & Co, we originally started that in 2013 as a wholesale business. Mm. But within six months, we opened up a little hole in the wall where it was a retail outlet. And being in a residential area, but in commercial buildings, people just started to come around because it had previously been a bakery. So people that had been in the area really appreciated having a local bakery to go to. And was it just bread? Bread, Viennoise so croissant and danishes, and then we did a few savoury items and a few tart items as Mm. well. So the range of products grew with time and so did the little hole in the wall. Eventually it was a full-blown, very rustic, but it was a larger retail space.
0: And in terms of bread, did you feel like you were tapping into a trend? Was that something that was in your mind, that bread was having a moment? You know, even just before COVID, before the whole sourdough mania took off, universally. Mm. There was certainly
1: more and more interest in a better quality bread. It was was the same bread that we had been making at Shook We didn't really change the style of bread, but there certainly was an increased level of awareness Mm. and an interest in it. Mm. And so the retail ticked along, the wholesale ticked along. There's always challenges. There's always things that need to change. And then the pandemic hit. Mm. So A huge portion of our turnover just disappeared with the wholesale side of it because all of the cafes, restaurants, hotels had to shut down for quite some time. Mm. And it meant that we really had to be adaptable in terms of the retail side of it, Mm. which we completely changed around to meet all of the regulations and the stipulations that the government's put in place. We really noticed a big difference because... People were at home. They were Mm. in their suburbs all the time and they were allowed to go out for essentials. So we would consider an essential business. Mm. And coming out to get their loaf of bread and their takeaway coffee became their daily outing, Mm. which people really enjoyed. Mm. And so the retail side of it actually did very well. Like it increased. And so it compensated a little bit for the loss of the wholesale business. So, just to talk about that process, how quickly did you have to adapt? We had to do it overnight. Mm. And mm. how did you do that? I'm someone that can stay very level-headed. I don't panic about things. Mm. And so you just follow the instructions. I worked with our retail manager, Gabrielle. We transformed the shop because there were all of these spacing issues. You had to socially distance. You couldn't have more than one person in a shop. Whereas before, our shop would have 20 people in a space of five square meters. Like it was mm. a little crazy. So we just pulled everything forward so that people couldn't actually come into the shop. They would stand at the steps and we would look after the order behind the scenes and also just keeping our team calm was really important, not to panic, not to get into the buzzy panic that happened because people were really scared. They got uncertain and so we really worked at keeping everything very calm, at reassuring our team members but also the public and following all of the the rules that came in place.
0: And with hindsight, I mean, selling the cafe was actually great timing, wasn't it? In that you sold the part of the business that was really the most vulnerable and then you adapted the other half of the business to really meet the retail demand mm. as the wholesale fell away. Yeah. Which was clever, Lara.
1: Yes, with hindsight yeah <laughs> Thank you, Yeah. So I
0: just want to bring you up to February 2022 hmm. and ask you to talk about where were you at in relation to the business hmm. and, and what Mother Nature unleashed to upset all of your plans?
1: So it had been nine years since Sebastian and I started Crust & Co. The bakery industry is quite a difficult industry. It's not friendly to the team members because they have to work through the night. Mm. They work on weekends. It's long hours. It's difficult. It's not a good work-life balance, let's say. And so we had both reached the point where we were like, we worked very hard. I think we're ready to ramp it up and sell it. And so we were intentionally working and building the business to sell. And so we went down that path, went through the process with a business broker. It's not an easy business to sell, so it took a little while. Mm. And then we had a buyer, negotiated the conditions of sale and the price, been through all the due diligence, and we had four weeks to wait until settlement. So it had mm. gone unconditional, settlement was due in four weeks And then we had the horrid weekend at the end of February 2022 where Brisbane just got completely flooded and our building was included.
0: Mm. And what did that look like inside the building?
1: So we knew that the building was susceptible to flooding, but we had only ever had 10, 20 centimetres through the building once or twice before over the lifetime of our Mm. business there, which is easy enough to pack up, you clean up you're back operating in one day.
0: And it's is it fine. insurable because it's flood prone?
1: No, no. Right. So we, I guess at the beginning of the taking on that lease, we were a little naive and we trusted what we had heard, that it wasn't susceptible. And we soon learnt that it actually was So and that it wasn't insurable. Mm-hmm. So it was something that had always hung over our shoulders. Every time there was a lot of rain, it was something that we considered. So we got flood barriers, like proper... Professional flood barriers were in place. And so we had all of, so we thought we've done everything we can, we'll be fine. The flood barriers probably went up to a meter. We got 2.2 meters through the whole building. Mm. And I remember going there because we couldn't access it, the whole area was flooded. I remember going once sea water had receded, I had to push the door because things were pushed up against it. And opening that door, it just, it was unrecognizable. Mm. I had never fully comprehended the power of water to that extent. Mm. It had lifted things up from an office at the front of the building to the back loading dock, which is about 100 metres. It looked like a giant washing machine had been through there and just tumbled everything around. Mm. It was so sad. And irretrievable.
0: Yeah. So what happened to your
1: contract then? Well, we had nothing left to sell them. Mm. It's, so it And it was a frustrated contract mm. because there was nothing left to sell. We had all of the equipment. If we wanted to replace that, you have to wait six months mm. to get it from Europe. All of our team members... We couldn't afford to keep paying them, but they couldn't afford not to be paid, so they had to go out straight away and find a new job. All of our wholesale customers, some got flooded, but those that didn't, and when they got back on their feet, they needed products straight away. They couldn't wait. Mm -hmm. So really, if we had decided to push through and start up again, it's really starting from zero. It's going Mm -hmm. through all of those steps. Yes, we had the goodwill and the reputation, but it's really building it from ground up again. And I guess given that we had decided that we wanted to sell and we wanted a change and we were so close, to get the the energy and mm. the to want to go through that again is quite difficult. Mm. So you wound it up? So we, yeah, I mean, it took us a few months to decide that permanently, but yeah, we decided to wind it up. Mm. And so that would be about a year ago, so year and a half now,
0: yeah. Yeah, so where are we up to now? You must have been devastated. It's not just a financial decision. It's an emotional decision. You'd invested a lot in it. We had, yeah. And so what steps did you take to come to grips with the enormity of the situation and bring yourself to a place where you could think about the future? I mean, what do you do in that situation?
1: Mm. Well, initially when it first happened, I went into my typical have-to-do-things mode, staying Mm. calm, staying level-headed, being logical about it because there were a lot of things to do, even just in terms of the business initially. And I recognised I didn't – how can I say this? I recognised that given the terrible situation, we were still better off than what others Mm. were given the floods.
0: How were you better off, Lara? (laughs) <laughs> How could you possibly have been better off? well
1: we we didn't have any debt for the mm. business, so we certainly didn't have that hanging over our heads. Mm. Everyone was safe, no one got injured, and mm. we were all okay. Mm. but and so i that was my initial, and I also felt like I had to be strong for everyone around us mm. because it when your whole team they came in a day or two afterwards and helped us clean up. Mm. That takes a massive toll on everyone. So I felt like as one of the business owners, I had to be strong and soldier on. And so for the first six months, that's what I was. I would run into people and they would say, oh, how's it going? And I would just be strong about it. And Mm. they'd be like, how can you be like this? And Mm. I'm like, well, I don't really have a choice. Mm. And so I realised after six months, I went overseas for four weeks with my two little boys to Mm. see, have some time with family over there, which was wonderful. Mm. It was very good for my soul. But I came back. And realised that I had been ignoring the actual emotional impact of what had happened to me. Mm. So I had a session with the therapist that I see every now and then and it's there that I really acknowledged and allowed myself to go through. Because it wasn't just the impact of losing that and the financial impact it was like i had to grieve it because mm. we had worked so long for 10 years to build up this business and it's like i was giving myself permission to say once you get to this point then you can have some time off then you can work on things that you want to do for yourself and all of the things mm. and all of a sudden that was taken away from me mm. so i allowed myself to grieve basically after that with that realization mm. and realized that i wanted to spend some time working on myself Spend time with the family, and so that's what I've been doing since then. Because the family were there; they were the constant through all of this. They were, they? yeah. I mean, your husband, your children,
0: your mother, yeah. others. Mm. That was it. Was great to have that support, wasn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, it's vital. But yeah. they would
0: have been exhausted by it as well.
1: Yes, and I think exhausted by it, but also concerned about me of how mm. I was coping with it.
0: Mm. Mm. So when I spoke to you about this at the first instance, Mm. you were still very much at a crossroads thinking, I'm not sure what's next. Have you come up with a plan or are you still deciding to do very little and have a normal life? Yeah. Where are you up to and how did you get there?
1: So I've decided since we spoke originally, Mm. uh, I had already started on this path, but I recognised that it was really important for me to focus on myself mm. and so that's what I've been doing. I've been giving myself, I've been allowing myself the time to do that because mm. I've always been very good at looking after myself but on a superficial level mm. and so I've kind of delved into the level of creating a better relationship with myself and that really has had a flow-on effect on, on everything in my life. Mm. And so now I'm finding myself at a stage where I've had the time off, I've had time with my family, I've had the time to work on my emotional well-being, and now I can start to feel that I'm ready for another challenge, mm. another activity. So what
0: of all the things you've done? What do you think was the the most effective thing you did to make you feel like you've restored some order to your emotional self? Mm.
1: So I went went on a retreat for five days Mm -hmm. and it was all about having an intentional relationship with yourself, which for me, it's been amazing. Mm. This has been getting quite personal, but I think everyone has their own narrative. Mm. So the way that they treat themselves and Mm. their narrative, their story. Mm. And I realised over time that I had not been treating myself very well emotionally. Mm. Mm. And so I worked on that and on having a loving, intentional relationship with yourself, Mm. which when you make, well, I found when I made that switch in terms of my headspace, it's had a big impact on me personally and everyone around me.
0: And so if you were to encounter women who
1: have had a similar upheaval, what would be your advice to them. Kindness to yourself. It's really important. I don't think it's one of the things that people will think about or go to. Whereas I know that I've always been really hard on myself. And I think a lot of women do. They expect a lot of themselves Mm. and they are hard on themselves in terms of, am I doing enough? Am I doing it well enough? And, Mm. and really when I stopped and thought about my narrative and how I would treat myself, Mm. that is not how I would treat my close friends or my loved ones or my mom or my Mm. children. I would never, I would not do that. Mm. Such high expectations. High expectations, but also negative chatter. And Mm. like, I would never be like that with other people. So it's all almost a sense of self-abuse. And so when I became aware of that, I was like, gosh, what have I been doing to myself? Mm, mm, mm. And once I was able to recognise that and work on that, it really has made a difference in terms of how I feel about myself.
0: Do you think that, I mean, given that you're an interesting mix of the French and the Australian, the more Anglo-Saxon sort of culture, do you think the French are any less
1: hard on themselves? Is the French side a bit kinder? I think the French are probably a bit better at letting it go, Mm. of not holding on to things. Mm. And that's purely just my experience through my family. I haven't lived there for a very long time, so Mm. in terms of French culture. But they seem to be able to, like even you be in France and they'll have really heated discussions about things where people don't agree or whatever. But as soon as the discussion's over, they can let it go, Mm. whereas I don't get that same sense here.
0: And what about the French influence? Is that still going to be important going forward in any future plan? Yes, it always
1: will be. It's really integral in me. I am both Australian and French. I was born Mm. here, but culturally I think I'm actually more French than Australian. Mm.
0: Oh Well, I'll be interested in what's going to happen next. Will you come back and tell us when it all comes to life?
1: Well, I'm working on it. I'm ready. As I said before, I'm ready now for a new challenge. I think it will be something completely different for a little while, but I certainly have what I call stage three in the pipeline. Oh, well, I'll be interested in how that all comes to life. Thanks, yeah. Lara. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I've always enjoyed, I listen to your podcasts. I've always enjoyed them. I think listening to Unpaused has helped me evolve through this process as well.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I was completely transported by Lara's descriptions of how much she put into her preparations to launch the cafe and patisserie that became Choquette. Going to France for an intensive on how to run a patisserie come bakery was a brilliant way to tap into France's deep culture of fine baking, as well as the essentials of exactly what she would need to bring it to life. No doubt, all this intelligence was fed into her business plan and what a plan it must have been. Lara's successive pivots from the cafe and patisserie to the standalone bakery business, from wholesale to retail, and from being on the floor to being behind the scenes, speak to her agility and deep-seated preference for never standing still for too long. Listening to her just now, it's clear she consistently played to her strengths, the cool head in a crisis, the logical, methodical problem-solving, being the leader. She was also clear-headed enough to be able to act decisively when it was time to change direction, to suit her changing personal circumstances, or even to call enough. But a flood. No one could have foreseen the devastation that the floods of February 2022 unleashed in Southeast Queensland. It was brutal and it took its toll. When I first spoke to Lara about coming on the podcast, she was a bit hesitant because she was so unsure about what would come next. As she said today, she still needed time to process what had happened and to come to terms fully with the personal toll it had taken. Suffice to say, pauses, for whatever reason, find their way into so many careers. I'll be very surprised if there's not something spectacular starting to take shape in Lara's mind, even as she takes time for herself, obligation-free, to regroup. I'm going to be optimistic and hope she'll return for a second interview when her next chapter is underway. Thanks to Leonie Marsh, the producer of Unpaused, and to Jason Milhouse in the studio. Until next time, farewell.